All right, we're here in Paris, France. This is the Fly Out of Line podcast. Uh, on location, we figured out that we don't need fucking formal microphones to intimidate motherfuckers. We, we're, we're fucking with lapel mics and iPhones. Uh, so, yeah, we're here in uh, uh, Montmartre, uh, up at top of a hill overlooking uh, Paris. And I'm over here with uh, two great friends of mine, uh, Askew from New Zealand. Uh, he's an artist, uh, designer, and positive thinker. And uh, we're also here with uh, my buddy Dax. Uh, he is uh, from Atlanta, Georgia, in the United States. Uh, Dax is just this really intense energy uh, that happens to have uh, had experiences in a little bit of everything. Uh, anything from graffiti to music to wild living. Drug dealing. <laughs> Drug dealing. He, he's, he, Dax is on this mission now of going from uh, being a drug dealer to a spiritual healer. That's right. That's right. right. And, uh, and also one more thing to note, uh, Askew just had a, a really amazing show at Gallery 42B in Paris, France uh, last night. And uh, this is just sort of us hanging out at the top of the hill talking about our upcoming ceremony with ayahuasca. So check it out. The view, the view is pretty dope here, huh? This view is, I'm in awe right now. Where are we? We're at the top of Montmartre in Paris. This I've never is, even heard of it. Well, it's famous because it's the area where Pablo Picasso lived. A lot of artists were based here, and that's the Sacre Croix, which is an old Byzantine church. And it's also the highest point in Paris, so you can see everything. You see everything but the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. <laughs> which I've still not seen yet. You still haven't seen the Eiffel Tower? No. You can see the Eiffel Tower when you go around the other side a little bit, but... Oh, is that the tip of it over there? Yeah. All right. Well, there, I've seen it now. Yeah. <laughs> you've, you've been here, what, five days now? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what have we been doing here for, for the past five days? Mostly we have been talking and preparing for our ayahuasca ceremony, and we've also been preparing for your upcoming gallery show, Children of Ourselves, and mm-hmm. I've been learning from you, and I've been stealing advice that you give your assistant. Mm-hmm. We've been eating mushrooms. We went to Askew's gallery show that was epic last night. Yeah, but we went and did what? How did we show up at that art, at, at that art show? We showed up in uh, Parisian suits. That's right, in style. In style, yes. Yeah. We showed up like grown men. That's yeah. right, some adult shit. Some adult shit. Getting on that adult math, and then we went soup bombing. <laughs> yeah. I didn't yeah. tell you. Oh, no, <laughs> Afterward last night, uh, we were with uh, that dude Hefner, and uh, yeah. he had a bunch of paint, and we went. Like we we went like we even did fill-ins and stuff. Oh, nice! Yeah, in the suits. In the suits, and then we're taking posse shots. Excellent. In fucking suits, <laughs> doing graffiti in Paris. Uh, but yeah, so so yesterday we we went out. Uh, Elliot, uh, ask you. Uh, you've been you've been out here preparing uh, for what the past month? Yeah. Uh, we, for an art show. Yeah, came out like at the end of uh, August and worked right through September. Was out in Burgundy. So in the countryside on about 3.8 acres of land, uh, eating a lot of uh, fresh produce from the neighbor's garden, 
you know, like drinking the local wine and uh, riding our, our bikes up to the local shop to get the fresh bread every day. And, you know, basically some days the only company I had were these two miniature ponies. You know, they would pop, pop their head in the door and watch me paint. It was, it was wild. Really Are wild. they like, like uh, free spirits? You can't like jump on the back of oh, a hell. pony? No, no. I mean, one of them was a stud, like he was used for breeding. So like, you know, he, he would get he's never been ridden in his life you know he, he only did the riding that's what he did what did they use these ponies for well i guess like the female was a show pony like they entered competitions with her they would take her to fairs and things and young kids would ride her and stuff like that but they're like 25 years old or something now so they're like in their retirement era that sounds amazing yeah so they've come down from the the, the um stables down the road to, to live on this land and uh enjoy their, their you know their twilight years you know so <laughs> Paris is a place of romance, even uh, yeah. for ponies. Well, Burgundy even more so. I've I seen footage uh, on, on your stories of like these ponies just sticking their head into your studio space. Yeah, they were really like dogs, you know, they were really curious, really engaged. They wanted um, a lot of contact every day. They wanted, you know, pats to be touched, cuddled, fed. They liked, um, you, you keep uh, the, the old bread for them, you know, so it's like it hardens up. And it was just you and these ponies? Some days, yeah, yeah, and my wife was with me, but you know, like, she she's a city type of person, so she wanted to get out and ex explore Paris a little bit, like, so she took a few breaks from the country, but even she found herself really wanting to come back as well, like, and hang out. What's different? What's different for you? Uh, you know, being that you're currently living in New York City, uh, what's different for you uh, in preparing? you know, in a, in a country setting versus uh, preparing artwork, uh, living in, the, in a city. Is there any difference? Yeah, there was a huge difference, man. Just like, um, you know, the clarity you get when you actually are in a quiet place, a, a place so quiet that when there's actually a noise, it's quite stark, like you like really like hear it, you know, like it cuts through, you know. And um, being alone in your thoughts, you know, like being somewhere where it's like at nighttime, you know, you could hear everything like the owls, you know, in the woods and yeah. everything, and just it was—it was just real interesting, man. Like bird life and everything there. No, Mister. Did it allow you to develop? Yeah, I mean, it just allowed me peace and quiet and a lack of distraction. I'm a distractible fucking dude, man. So it's, it's good to have that, you know. No, yeah. Well, Dax, you—you be, you being someone uh, that's from Atlanta, you know, being being a city guy, uh, I know that right now you you live outside of the city and you know experience some of that yeah i wanted to get away from the city life especially with all the gentrification and um the abundance of people who have moved to atlanta and when i moved there it was two and a half million people and now it's six and a half million people and uh that's been a lot for me to adapt to and i never quite have adapted to it so i moved out to the country to get away from that and to also clear my mind to be able to think again and also redevelop my art and redevelop myself just try to grow because i kind of my, my growth was stunted for quite a while and, I, and it started to turning 42 this past September I started really noticing that I needed to grow and so I'm here that's why it's part of me being here I came to grow and learn well how does it how does it work being uh, you know being someone coming from graffiti I mean I assume that we've all been writing graffiti for over 20 years you know 25 years over 25 years indeed uh, I mean what year did you start writing graffiti I started being a, a, uh, an established writer in 94, but I started drawing graffiti and staring at it and, and uh, 
you'd be obsessing over it in 85. Okay. So, I mean, being a graffiti writer, you know, going into your 40s, <laughs> you know, uh, at, at what point does it, you know, start to sort of wind down? Do you, uh, do you sort of become like, it, like how do, you, how do you keep this thing fresh? Um, I, don't, I don't use it for rebellion anymore. I use it for, um, I mean, I do it for a career for one, but I also use it for my sanity. You know, when I get sick of living or sick of painting even as a job, because it becomes a, you know, when you get money for this and people, there's chefs in your kitchen, it starts to lose some of its essence. So I think for me, you know, and now that I live in the country, you know, I'm still able to go paint freight trains. And it brings me back to why I love painting. It brings me, it brings me back to my childlike memories. It makes me think like a child again. And for me to be creative, I have to be in a childlike state of mind. I have to, I can't be having all the adult stresses that your average adult has. So for me, I'll stunt my growth or I get like, what's like a writer's block when I get too caught up in all this 2018 internet world and city, city slicker life. Uh -huh. So for me being out in the country and then still being able to go do graffiti, but I mean, for me, graffiti has grown too. I, I don't do it for the same reasons and I don't do it in the same way. Okay. What is more mature now. What? Okay. So, uh, so I know both of you guys, uh, I've done DMT with both of you guys and it had, you know, could you tell me anything about your experience with doing DMT? Did it have any type of influence in the way you approach life? Uh, I'll start with, with uh, you, Elliot. Yeah, I mean, I think it did. Um... What was your DMT experience like? I think I think like my initial experience was um, it was just a visual thing. It was a very surface level thing. It was kind of like if you went into a kind of a real micro kind of level of like what everything's comprised of. And I saw that everything was like faceted and rendered and digital yet organic, like pulsating and breathing. And it kind of, um, you know, a little bit kind of in the vein of what I've been painting recently, actually. Um, that first experience, but the second time I had a... What are you painting? Well, what I have been painting is actually the three-dimensional scans of random objects that people kind of turn their blind eye to, but they're, to me, recordings of, uh, you know, the way the humans traverse, like, through public space or shared space, like, globally, like the kind of human diaspora, I guess. It was like following on from my portraiture was like another way to explore that without doing like literal portraits of like individual people it was like a way to talk about mass portraiture or like the mass movement of, of people you know and, and it was funny because like actually my second DMT experience was like I had an encounter with some kind of entity which I, I have a very hard time kind of um, explaining because they didn't adhere to any kind of uh, form of a being as I understand it they you know what describe describe visually what this entity looked like this entity had an ornate framed gold framed head yeah. face thing I guess the best way I can describe it that basically had a pretty much a portal into like a, a, a deep kind of space or, or galaxy uh, no physical body that I could see of and a massive what I understood to be a hand but not a human shaped hand but it was a mechanical hand made of gold that basically was controlling a massive uh, disc uh, that basically was was comprised of several spinning discs that were gold and they had uh, language on them animated language but they were it was firm like metal but it was fluid because it animated in all the letter shapes of characters which none of which I recognized but 
some of which sort of I associated with um, sort of, you know, like maybe kind of Aztec or Mayan kind of like, you know, and Egyptian kind of all fused together. Um, and basically this hand was kind of reconfiguring and shifting this disc into different kind of um, sort of, you know, configurations that, you know, I, w I couldn't understand the language, but it was at the same time communicating telepathically with me to explain something a little bit more about the origins of us. And the main profound sort of takeaway from it was pretty much they were trying to get to, to me to explain that we've been in a much more elevated point in our evolution at an earlier time. We've had a, a higher civilization than the one that we sort of live in now. And also there were sort of some undertones of kind of this idea that we are, we've been modified or tampered with or we've been changed for some purpose at some point. And actually that, that change was not, um, it was more of an inhibiting change. It was a change that prevented us from reaching our, our full potential. Um, and then the third one I call like the circus, which was funny because, you know, Kara had the same thing where you, I heard circus music was the first thing entering in. It was a Shout out to Carafina Antonio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, when she started talking about that, I was like, and her experience was very similar to mine in that sense that it was, I dropped down into the circus land. It was basically a very fluorescent, colored, like infrared, like magentas, teals, yellows, like all these types of colors. It was a massive, like it was like a city, I guess in a way but I think it, I've been there yeah every single component of it was spinning moving animated and everything was like kind of like plateaued like there were levels and so I was sinking further into this place like I think I'd landed at a destination and then like a, a smaller cut like I'd go into like what seemed like a cylindrical kind of hole and then I'd go in and I'd land on what seemed like the floor and it would start spinning and then I would lower and it was just going forever and it went it went for you know three or four minutes and then I, I came out of that you was just it, described my last DMT experience. Was, was there any information <laughs> or when it happens, yeah. right? in, in that experience, was there any information or anything like that being communicated to you? And was there anything that you pulled away in association to your current life? What I pulled away from it, honestly, was how the fuck can I be seeing something that I have never seen or been able to reference at any point in my life visually that's coming from somewhere so deep in my my consciousness that um, it must have already kind of been there um, and then I started to kind of have this feeling that it's something it's tapping into something that we all we all have these references and and things buried deep in our subconscious uh, we all share it or we're all tapped into some source um, but uh, um, it was beyond anything I could ever visualize come up with imagine I've never seen anything that looks like that in a movie I've never seen anything like that in, an, uh, in a painting until after when I started searching other people's DMT experiences and found that there was this person had put this illustration up on like deviantart.com or something like that. It was like, like my first DMT experience and it was like bang on like what I saw. Like it was like, well, the best that anyone could have rendered it from their imagination, like their memory, you know? Right. So I was out, I was out in Los Angeles uh, back in May mm. and... I was on a really positive buzz having, you know, found out who my father was and being, it was like a foreshadowing experience from DMT that sort of 
said something like that was going to happen. And then when it did happen, I let go of a lot of, that's that country life, right? I can't wear shoes anymore, man. That my feet feel fucked from. They like... just they're just feet condoms, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta just let it fly, bro. That's true. Uh, but anyway, I was out in LA and I was on this tip of of wanting to share DMT with people, mm-hmm. seeing the positive benefits of it, and you know, wanting some creative friends of mine's maybe to have a similar experience and. On the last day that I was in L.A., I made a decision to change my flight and stay uh, an extra five days and move some of my old artwork that was being stored in Los Angeles back to New York. And I happened to be staying at the same house as Dax here, who just came off of a long cross-country trip. And the whole sort of idea of, of maybe going and painting together on the day that the morning after him arriving turned into us being able to kill some time and then I convinced uh, him and this guy Blah to do DMT with me and that was your first experience right? Yeah well my first second third and fourth experiences were with you. That's right so what what could you tell me about leading up to uh, your first DMT experience and what was it that you know, how, what was it like? What, what, how could you describe it? Well, when I left Atlanta, Beggar called me and told me to drive cross country. He had to deliver his car from Detroit to LA. So I went to Detroit and I told him that I wanted to stop and, you know, soak in the scenery. I didn't really know what I was doing at the time. I was very numb and I was drowning in negativity. So I was, I was, you know, desperately looking for a way out, out of my mental like you've cage. Lived, you've lived such a, like, intense, like, party lifestyle, yeah. you know, just being all over the place since you were a teenager. Yeah, and, and, and living that lifestyle has kind of kept me from uh, facing a lot of stuff. But even, even worse than that, when I decided to try to face stuff, I kind of just shut down and I blanked out. And um, I, I became a bit numb and depressed. And I would still go out and socialize and, and live my life, but I wasn't uh, enjoying it. And I wasn't necessarily hating it either. I just kind of just went numb. So I, I decided to jump in the car with Beggar to take time to sit in the middle of beautiful scenery, whether it be Colorado or Montana, you know, all the beautiful places you pass, Utah. So I took time to like eat really healthy, not do any drugs or alcohol and uh, clear my mind. And it worked. I started, you know, seeing the presence of God, what they say the presence of God is. So when I ran into you, I was kind of like in the perfect place to have a DMT experience, not knowing that, never never considered do, doing DMT. And when you asked me to do DMT, I turned it down originally. And then I told you that I had cleared my mind and that I didn't want to interrupt my clearing of my mind. I felt like it was, I finally had reached a good place. It took, you know, about two weeks to do it. Well, how I did like I sway you? It. How did I sway you then? Because uh, you asked me why I didn't think I should do it. And I told you that I was like, I just took this journey across the country a beggar and I didn't want to taint it. And you told me that it wouldn't taint it, that it would accentuate it. And you went deep into explaining why I had pretty much gotten prepared for a DMT ceremony. And you explained it in it being a ceremony and not us sitting around getting fucked up like a bunch of kids. So I, I took that to mind and uh, you convinced, well, you didn't have to take too much to convince me. You just kind of stated the facts and uh, it sounded good. And, I, and uh, after you explained what it, it does for people and what it had done for you, I thought that maybe this was the grand finale of uh, my journey, and it was. Uh, you, you said that uh, some of the aspects of uh, of Askew's trip you he could just relate to. My, you know, when I did, I did, a, I did two ceremonies with you: one in L.A., one in Brooklyn. But we did two um, 
know, we smoked it twice. You know, we had experience, then we took time off, then we smoked it again. Yeah, two sessions and then in that one was sitting. In LA. Yeah, two sessions in one sitting. We did that in Brooklyn. Then I decided to have my mother come into town and do that, and we did the same style of ceremony. So what? The what last co- session I did with my mother was exactly what you said with the spinning spindles, the circus mm. music. Well, take us through it. Take us through it. So I, I, I had done DM. You met my mom. I. Mm. I did DMT with my mom. And oh, you I, did it with your mom? Yeah, I did it with my mom. It was real interesting to get to see to see like an adult, like a you know, a, yeah. a, an adult's perspective on on DMT. And hers was associated with like family, and she saw all these like black and white pictures of like her her like aunts and some of these relatives who I've never met before wow. and stuff like that. It, it, it was it was quite quite deep and profound. She she said she wanted to do it again, but. I had mentioned to Dax that I had done this with my mom, and mm. I felt like it was a, it was a, it was a bonding experience to do that. Mm. Uh, so for Dax, we've done, we did DMT, you know, like improvisationally in Los Angeles. Mm. Then uh, in New York, I I convinced you to come out to New York, and we did DMT session there, followed by going spiritually all city, in a week's <laughs> time where we incorporated uh, deprivation tanks. Uh, we went to my Aunt Dolly's house in Staten Island, got a cards read. Microdosing mushrooms? Uh, did, well, we went really deep on mushrooms. We, we did mushrooms. Uh, I did acid. <laughs> uh, we, did, we did a whole bunch of things, you yeah. know, like all this kind whatever kind of spiritual thing we could fit in, we did. We went to Electric Forest in Michigan. We drove from Brooklyn to there. We camped out yeah. in the woods. Sick. That's awesome. And, and Dax, like, prepared really hard for that. Like, he was on, like, some overboard. kale salad fucking, <laughs> like, regiment or whatever. I went all raw, raw diet. Yeah, doing yoga yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. And then before Electric Forest, I started eating nothing but apples mm. and, and drinking lots of water. Mm. And, um, yeah, I mean, the journey, the journey was many things. But, yeah, it ended up in me having a profound experience out there in the campgrounds of New Era, Michigan, where Electric Forest is hosted. And it changed my life. I mean, I'm totally a different person now since, you know, maybe was it three months ago that when we, did, we were in L.A.? Yeah. Um, you know? Yeah, maybe more now. When I left Atlanta, I was distraught. Mm-hmm. And I was, and it's the first time I've been truly distraught in my life. And like I said, I think maybe the first signs of a midlife crisis maybe started kicking in mm-hmm. very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I kind of always dissed my friends who were going through midlife crisis. Like, mm-hmm. man, enjoy your fucking life. Like, mm-hmm. if this is a midlife crisis, I love it. Mm-hmm. But then it actually turned real on me. Yeah. It backfired on me, making fun of it and stuff. Yeah. So, so tell me about, you returned to Atlanta after going... You know, from this L.A. DMT trip, New York uh, DMT experience with all of these other things that we did, uh, spiritual things that we did, you ended up going back to Atlanta and you made this decision to invite your mom to your house. Yeah, based tell, off... Tell, tell me about that and then tell me about the actual DMT experience and how it related with Well, Elliot. I'll go back. The one we had in Brooklyn was the most profound one I ever had where I actually saw an entity and um, I took in the most, like, maybe not data from the universe, or maybe it was coming from the universe, but it pertained to me and my life. And um, it was, uh, I prepared for that one very well as, also. And when we did it, I started hearing children laughing at me. And, um, and at first it was cute. Mm. Then I started, to, uh, I was in an octagon cage that also had very LED lit patterns that had patterns coming out of patterns. Mm. Very, very um, sacred geometry style psychedelic sacred geometry and I was in this octagon cage and it was presenting me black and white pictures kind of like your mother said and uh at times I would feel very comfortable then I'd hear the children laughing again and I started feeling like they were when I started seeing them try to poke me and I felt 
as if I was being poked at and I started being feeling a little bit of humility and I felt offended. And when I started feeling offended, I started getting angry mm. inside of this. And then um, an entity presented herself and she had, she looked like something out of a science fiction movie, maybe. Maybe like, not necessarily an aliens that. movie, like maybe something you'd see in the bar, like with those Star Wars movies when they go to the bar. <laughs> and she, like, like, like one of the, with the prettier aliens, yeah. maybe. And um, she had like the, you know, the things coming off her face like that. Mm. And when she would present herself, everything would disappear as if they were scared of her. Did yeah. she have breasts? She did have breasts. Yeah, I only seen her from the waist up, but she had breasts, and uh, she was beautiful and comforting. And uh, she, as she would disappear, the darkness would come back. And at one point, a big dark hand came through one of the octagons, and it had long nails, almost like a demon, a shadow of a demon hand, came, and it scared the shit out of me. And right as it was about to touch me, I couldn't get away from it. She presented herself again, Damn. and then from there. I started seeing more memories and even things from the real world. Like I seen unicorn stickers from bubblegum machines that I had seen, just bizarre things. And then uh, a woman named Joy, who's a famous singer, she used to be in Lucy Pearl. Mm. She was like a motherly uh, type of figure in my life. Mm. She came out of the, the one of the bars of the octagon and the woman, the, the entity was staring over her and she almost seemed as if she was friends with the entity or like the daughter of an entity. And that put me yeah. in the place because the only yeah. time I've ever, I never had a lot of respect for women because my mother had disappeared for so long. I didn't trust women, but Joy was the woman who I've trusted the most in my life. And when it showed me her, it gave me full trust in this world. Mm. And I'm, I'm not sure why it showed me her. I'm still, you know, a lot of this stuff, uh, I'm still digesting it, figuring it out. But as I'm conscious of it, as we talk about it, I constantly still figure out stuff. Mm. And it's been, you know, months since the first one, but I'm always reflecting on it. You know, every time I go to bed, I also now have the ability to go deep into my conscious and uh, communicate with the universe. And mm. to the rest of the world, you know, this sounds like some ridiculous hippie shit, but it's my reality now, and I take it very seriously. Mm. And it's been, it's been, it's like getting fucking 40 years of psychiatric help mm. all in a couple months. Mm. So when you ended up returning back to Atlanta, oh, you, you, you had these decisions to uh, strengthen your relationship with your mother, repair this relationship with your mother. You said for 17 years, your mother abandoned you. Yeah. Well, and um, not only that, but when, when I got back to Atlanta, I started talking to my mother. My stepdad had been drinking since there was, a, you know, the hurricane had hit, Irma had hit. Mm -hmm. You know, it turned their power off for months. My, my schizophrenic uncles, my grandmother died. All this stuff happened to my mother. She got very distraught. Then my stepdad had drink, drank himself into a coma. She, they ran out of money. So I invited her to come stay with me and she turned me down. She said, no, what about my cats? What about your stepdad? I said, man, it's I think it's time for you to help yourself. And I'm, I'm here doing a, you know, a spiritual boot camp at my house. I'm, you know, cleansing myself constantly. I'm stretching, I'm, I'm getting my shit together and nothing's getting in my way. And I invited her and she, she was hesitant. I think after a couple of days, she realized she had nowhere else to go and no one else. And I said, look, you're more than welcome to come here, but when you get here, it's not going to be a vacation. So she decided to come and she showed up to Strut, like shaky, confused, pouring hot water into my, my instant, into the inmate, all of a sudden go on and on. So I took time with her to no. teach breathing and um, and eventually it led into doing DMT with her. Mm. And that was so profound that even till this day, she is she has changed her life. She's quit smoking, drinking. She's even, uh, my stepdad's out of the hospital. He's even looking at her as a leader now. He's not the man of the house so much as now because she, she has a lot of knowledge. They don't know what to do with themselves. And they're, and they're, he's 55, she's 65. But when we did the DMT, I had my friend's little brother come over and he did it with us and he was also needing some 
some sort of spiritual guidance. Yeah. And uh, when we did it, you know, Joe had taught me he, uh, through experiencing with him, and I also got on Skype with him. Taught me how to do it properly and, uh, and to lead like, a, like kind of like a beautiful dinner party type situation, make it very comfortable. And uh, we did the DMT and. What was your experience like when you went in? How did it, it relate was, uh, to Elliot's? Well, the second time we smoked it, the first time I smoked it that night, uh, I kept uh, being distracted by my mother. I was worried about her. You know, she's older, so I was worried that she might die or something. I don't know. I was just, just kind of had like my own motherly instincts to be motherly towards my mother. And uh, I kept coming out of my experience and not even seeing anything. It was just like I'm in a normal room and I would look and see she was okay and I would just go back and lay down and go right back, blast back off. And I did that several times. So I had the ability to come out and stop it and check on my mother. And the last time that I laid down, a shadow crawled across, just came across the floor from my mother's head into my head. And it was comforting. I felt like that was the true bond that we needed back, that I'd lost maybe when I was nine years old with her. So that was beautiful. The second time we smoked it that night, I went into that world that you went into because I wasn't worried about my mother this Describe time. Describe it. Um, I instantly went into it, and it was like floating through a multi-layered carnival. There was like um, holes with yeah. spindles mm. and these were all LED backlit, almost like mm. plexiglass, That's, like yeah. purple and uh, orange. And they were like layered as if they were like, mm. it was as if somebody in, in the real world could have built this stuff. Yeah. And um, I was, was able to color float. black and white. It was beautiful colors. You know, mostly oranges vibrant. and purples, very vibrant mm -hmm. and, and backlit, like like colored plexiglasses with backlight. Hazy, sharp, very sharp, like mm -hmm. as if we're, like right here, like, like, yep. like this. That's, that's it. And um, I was, and it wasn't like the other DMT experiences where it was like just moving so fast. I was floating through it this time, and I was able to like just really enjoy it and take it in. Mm -hmm. And then each time is different, and each time is profound. And it's kind of like you've explained to me before. It's like you have to keep getting through these like video game levels. You don't get to go to the you know, I don't know if there is any end to it, but you get to the, you know, the first time we do, it's like going, getting to the front door. Mm -hmm. Then the second time you get, you get to go in through the front door and maybe go to the lobby. The lobby, yeah, you get to the lobby and then you're allowed to go up and down these elevators and into different rooms and different, uh, I've been to rooms too. Mm -hmm. I've been to rooms, I've seen things that you said are, are, are a mixture of Mayan and Native American. Mm -hmm. um, things remind me of the New Orleans Indians. Mm -hmm. You know, I see a lot of uh, Egyptian things. Mm -hmm. Him and his uh, girlfriend, Vic, had uh, been sitting on a couch next to me at one point and they turned, they were encased in, um, you know, kind of like when you see uh, tombs of pharaohs and mm. stuff. I'd seen them in that, in, in those. Wow. So a lot of the stuff hey, that we've seen. And, and in New really? York. In New York. Yeah. There's a lot of things, there's a lot of uh, overlap between symbolism, Egyptian, and, uh, mm. you know, kind of like these indigenous cultures and, mm. and the stuff you see there into these worlds. But they're always way more vibrant in color and psychedelic. Mm. And uh, yeah. everything always, to me, seems like it's made out of plastic, but like mm. really shiny, nice, clean plastic. To me, it was like almost had that feeling like, you know, like perfectly rendered, like really slickly rendered digital kind of surfaces. Yeah. Like, like it was really like beyond, like so real, but beyond real, like perfect real. And clean. Clean, yeah. very clean. So. So we're here in Paris, uh, for, for the people that don't know, we're here in Paris. Uh, Askew just had an opening of his show that he's been preparing out here in France for the past month. I'm here uh, in France, in Paris, uh, on a three-month residency preparing a show opening uh, this November. Uh, but one of the things that I went really wanted to achieve while out here was to organize an ayahuasca ceremony. Uh, and it just so happened that I uh, 
was able to do ayahuasca back in May and all of the preparation and experiences leading up through DMT uh, and applying some of these lessons and letting things go, getting to the point of doing ayahuasca, I went really deep, really far and had a, a, very, mu a very moving experience. Mm. And we had this great experience in upstate New York, in Ithaca, and you know, it, it changed my life. It, 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 it renewed my enthusiasm for living. Mm. So, uh, by chance, is in France uh, doing his own art show. He's an, art sh he's an artist, he's a singer, mm. uh, he's a musician, and uh, we're here, we're here preparing for a ceremony. Next week we'll be having our, our first, it'll be your first time doing mm. ayahuasca, it will yep. be my uh, second experience doing it uh, so you know we've been going through a lot of conversations about preparation and everything like that uh, what based off of some of the things that we've discussed uh, I, I'd like to ask you both uh, what is it why would you even want to do something like ayahuasca and what are some of the ways in which you're preparing and what do you expect to sort of happen in it for, for me, um, <clears throat> I heard once that when it's when it's ready, it comes into your life, you know. And actually, it's the only time I ever have been offered or invited to partake in something like this. This year, since I did DMT, I never, I, I, I haven't, you know, done DMT or mushrooms or LSD or anything at all this entire year. I've been very sort of, uh, you know, focused on what I'm doing. Like I've had a very singular focus that I kind of walked away from that last experience with and felt that I needed to realize through the making of this work that I showed in Paris and this kind of journey in a lot of ways is really tied with this place you know uh, so it just seemed like very perfect and opportune timing when when you uh, made the invitation and also to my wife as well uh, who I think is also kind of in a real uh, crossroads creatively speaking and career-wise and you know life-wise and for her to be invited and have the opportunity as well is something I you know, we talked a lot about wanting to do that and to do that, you know, have that experience at the same time, you know. And what are you doing now to prepare for it? For me, I mean, I've been like, um, I've been in the country for the last month, which has been really good. I've had my shoes off a lot. I've been drinking a lot of water. I've been sleeping good. I've been working, obviously, eating really well. I have been drinking a bit like, you know, like wine with dinner and everything, um, as is kind of customary here in, in uh, France. Uh, but not overdoing it, you know, not overdoing anything. I quit coffee about seven weeks ago, which was just off the back of, we had a, like a long run of overseas travel and we found ourselves in situations where we were able to like drink. You know, we weren't drinking to excess, but we were just drinking quite consistently. Like my family are quite consistent drinkers. A lot of people in New Zealand and Australia are. And uh, we went to my sister's wedding in Bali and, you know, just kind of just seemed like we need a little bit of a, like a detox. We wound up in San Francisco and all, all of uh, my wife's friends were around and excited to see us and there was just a lot of going out and everything and it just felt like we needed a bit of a detox. So we went on a, a little soup cleanse and kicked the caffeine and uh, my caffeine withdrawals this time were the worst uh, I've ever experienced all the times I've taken a break from coffee. Well, you, were, you were like, oh, you were yeah. like an intense you know, coffee enthusiast, man. Yeah, well, I, I mean, like, I'm a, as I said, I have, like, 
real I've always had real hyperactivity like you know like some some would say like ADHD I'm pretty like typical in that sense um, and I tend to overstimulate as a result uh, because they sort of have a different coffee has a different kind of effect on me it slows me down Maybe a like bit. your Adderall yeah yeah and so I drink a lot like sometimes like you know a minimum of like three espressos a day but sometimes six some what are the withdrawals kind of feel like oh withdrawals are the worst man like just like a really full-on hypertension headache like in the back of my head and the front of my head like right here which has always been an issue for me because I had a I had a, a brain issue like a few years back or back in 2011 when my brain just completely like shut down I guess I had a reboot I have a blood vessel in my right frontal lobe that just constricted and stopped all the blood flow to my, my body and I just like fucking collapsed in the middle of the city and um, the headache that I get coming off a of coffee is very reminiscent of the start of that headache that I had before before you know that went down so I just like was really paranoid like oh man you know it's Right before preparation for a show huh? yeah yeah during. but I felt great man. do you have a desire to drink coffee no, I haven't had a desire to drink coffee at all. Um, you know, uh, everyone around me has been drinking coffee. I've been to cafes. I just had like uh, cold pressed juices and things like that, and uh, and uh, just try to get get my water consumption up mostly, man. Like just like hydrate, and uh, I felt great. I've been waking up with uh, a great amount of energy. I've been sleeping much better. Uh, generally. Um, been good I think it's been a good move of all the ones I think that's always been my main vice because I, I didn't touch drugs and alcohol for 15 years I was like and I was a, a you know vegan and I you know I was really caffeine into, is a drug isn't it? it but that was my my drug you know that was my one vice yes I and I and I really relish in it you know so yeah what do you think what do you anticipate uh, in this ceremony next week with ayahuasca what do you think I'm just going into the ceremony with a completely open uh, mind, like I, I want to surrender, you know, I want to allow myself to surrender. I've been through a gradual process of letting go of a lot of things over the last couple of years. Um, I went through a big massive upheaval in my life, which was mostly my own doing and uh, well, completely really my own doing, but part of a larger thing that I know, uh, a path I was supposed to kind of correct my path in some way I know you know I, I know that there was a there's a that this kind of if it was my midlife crisis I don't know but it was a lot of positive shit has come out of it you know what I mean a, a lot of stuff um, and and um, I grew up in a small country I was very ambitious I went really hard doing a lot of things I got known I had my position or so I thought and I had a very stationary and rigid perspective of who I was and where I fit into the world and what I can do and what I what my powers are and everything and then suddenly I kind of just you know through the series of life events just kind of lost everything and grip of everything and became a very fragile and vulnerable person and and out of my depth completely in a lot of situations and the people who have been in my life through that time have, have seen that you know and um, it took a long time for me to let go of certain things. There was a lot of things I couldn't comprehend were barriers because I didn't know how to surrender myself. It was really like, you know, I've got a real tendency to kind of like want to control the situations that I'm in and keep in my comfort zones and know what something is, you know what I mean? So, yeah, you know, I've just been gradually letting go of a lot of stuff, man, and, and you know, I'm, I'm far from done. Wonderful. How about you? I'll go back a little bit to, you know, 
how I was before I started this journey, the spiritual journey, and feeling numb and kind of just not appreciating or enjoying anything anymore, not even drugs or the women, the things that usually got me off. Everything just lost its, I lost my spice for life, and uh, I feel like I've regained that, like, I, kind of like when you've kind of, we've had these conversations before about, you know, you first get out in the world, we used to wake up really early just because everything was exciting when you're a little kid, you know, you're like 10 years old and you finally get to venture out, and it's like, everything's exciting, it's like the, I, I kind of got my spice for life back in general, and that's been the best thing that I've gotten out of it, but leading into ayahuasca, I still think there's some underlying issues, you know, I didn't realize I had so many invisible boundaries, I'm starting to, a lot of this stuff starting to come, I'm starting to realize all this stuff now. And um, and even though it's starting to trickle down and I'm starting to let go of a lot of things, I think ayahuasca can like maybe fast forward the process of all this. I don't think I have to do it to get to where I want to go, but I think that uh, I think it, uh, now that I'm 42, I think that this, this experience is going to allow me to enjoy the rest of my life and also creatively not have boundaries. I've had a lot of, you know, there's probably boundaries I don't even have any clue about because I'm realizing that I have them hanging out with you. I didn't realize that I, you know, doing art, there are no rules, but I've, I've had a lot of rules. I don't know where they came from and why I have them, but they're there. And I'm, I'm, I'm worried that maybe there's a lot of aspects of my life that I, I have these things with. And I want to let those go. And I want to be truly, I just want to be happy. I relate to a lot of what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I would say that we're, we're, I know I am, but it's safe to assume that we're all looking forward to this experience. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, you know. There's there's moments of um, nervousness, but uh, there's ways of overcoming that. You know, yeah, you've just helped, preparation. You've with that. And then the preparation, you know, not not having sex, um, not wailing the Jennings even, uh, not drinking caffeine. Wailing the Jennings? Wailing, you know, whacking it. Oh, whacking. like whacking off? Yeah. Um, I never heard that one I never before. That's a new yeah. one. That's, that's, that's how I describe it. But, um, but also just eating clean, drinking water, not smoking marijuana, which is all things that I love to do. But it's not hard to do because uh, we're doing this out of respect for the ayahuasca and we don't want to interrupt and respect it for yourself and having respect for ourself having respect for myself is uh, is uh, the beginning of having respect for anything else that's right so uh on that note uh this is going to be a part one uh, of the fly out of line podcast uh please follow this up with part two which is going to be the the morning after uh, our ayahuasca ceremony yes. and we're going to do a little recap talk about some of our experiences so uh, we will you know, not be the same people we are sitting here now we we, we're just going to be a, a bit more in touch version of ourselves I, I, I'm looking forward to being even more enlightened if that's possible that's right so uh, uh, fly at a line podcast fly at a line dot com at fly out of line on instagram uh, you can find uh, Askew's work. Uh, Askew1, A-S-K-E-W-O-N-E, uh, on Instagram. Uh-huh. And do you still have your website up? I do. www.askew1thenumeral.com. Numeral1, A-S-K-E-W, numeral1.com. And then uh, Dax, it's D-A-X. What's your Instagram? How's it going? Dr. Dax, it's doctor, abbreviated D-R period D-A-X. And you can At, find me in real life in Atlanta, right. Georgia. You know, Doc, uh, Dax is one of these, like, iconic motherfuckers who's just happened to be around for so many things. Uh, they were telling me that uh, that dude Bubba Sparks, this, this rapper from the South, 
he calls uh, Dax uh, the the Forrest Gump of hip hop. He's just <laughs> right. happened to be around for anything, <laughs> everything. <present>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, I'm. Could be worse places to be. Oh, That's yeah. right. It's yeah. it's an honor I'm to blessed. have him here, and uh, you know. It's an honor to be here, and thanks for having me That's in all right. these great situations, Joe. Chilling out Joe in fucking Joe me out of my comfort zone and into new comfort zones. <laughs> That's right. All right, peace.